the airy mountain, down the rushing glen. We dare not go a-hunting, for fear of little men. Do other races exist just beyond the boundaries of humankind? Legends of their existence persist across many cultures. So, what are these creatures? Beings of myth and magic? Guardians of nature? Or malign entities from darkest folklore? Join your guides Dan Baines and Fiona Marr in their quest for the truth. Welcome to the Fairy Podcast. This is number five. I'm Fiona Ma and... And I'm Dan Baines. And we are the co-presenters. And uh, today we're going to be talking about sightings. We are. We've had our first few emails through from listeners to the show. So we're going to be covering those later on. But we are recording in strange times at the moment, aren't we, Fiona? Absolutely. Yeah, it's the weirdest. It's like we're living through the weirdest time. Um, COVID-19 is rampaging across the country. And uh, we we normally socially distance, don't we, Dan, by a few hundred miles, putting this show together. I socially distance naturally from most people anyway. So it's, it's not really been a great change for me. <laughs> me the only note the only thing that's really changed for me is my wife has occupied my office because she's working from home and the children are home all the time so the opportunity for me time and my creative energy is very low at the moment just because of those reasons well i've i've gone the opposite way because of um i i organize events as you know and a lot of them have been suspended however i am still hoping that the legendary clangotham fairy festival will go ahead um it may well do because it's it's august so we i'm in with a chance um but anyway in the meantime i've been able to write and I'm using the opportunity to catch up. Uh, I've put out um, a long short story, The Mistle- uh, the Cuckoo and the Mistletoe, available on Amazon. Um, that's actually advertised on the, the Facebook page for the Fairy Podcast. And I'm also finally getting on with the follow-up to The Last Changeling. And uh, part of which is predicated on the idea. I don't know, Danny, you've seen all these things about wildlife coming into towns and things like that. I have, yeah. I've seen the the story about the goats invading a town in Wales. That's Um, it. Yeah, the time dead no goats. Yeah, we've had deer... Uh, in in uh, somewhere in Essex, a load of deer turned up on on a roundabout. Yeah. Uh, but worldwide, you've got you've got the canals in Venice becoming clear. Mm. Uh, there, there are bison on a beach in California. There's deer in a Japanese town as well. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, and the birds. The amount of birds. Yeah. I've spent the morning pressure washing bird crap off everything <laughs> we i live in kent the, the the garden of england so as you can imagine it is teeming with wildlife even though it's not been so long that we've been in this covid19 lockdown you can see how nature has started to slowly yeah. take over the yeah. amount of birds is unbelievable well my th- this is interesting because my follow-up to the last changing 
is tackling the idea of is it just birds that are going to be invading our towns maybe the fairy folk will be coming along with them yeah you know so so it's quite an interesting thing to see what happens post lockdown nature is getting a hold again (laughs) absolutely absolutely and wherever there's nature that is where you're more likely to have a sighting it is so uh, it's one thing I have been doing I've, I've actually been going out and exploring more with the children getting them out of the house and just looking at the local footpaths and seeing where they go and I've been going to places where I've never ever been before that were just on the doorstep mm. I never realised they were there and now I know they are there I feel like I've almost reconnected a little bit with nature so that's one positive excellent that's really good so so should we get on with these emails and one in particular yep certainly as we said the topic of this show mainly revolves around sightings and um, we have had a couple of emails from listeners one which we'll cover after the break but this one is the one we're going to kick off with is really interesting yeah so it's from a chap i'll call him tony and uh, he reckons he's a bit hazy on the dates but roughly 20-ish years ago, okay. um, him and his wife and two sons were staying at a hotel. Well, it was more of a hostel. Um, it was by Stratford-upon-Avon, which is important. Um, and uh, his youngest son, Tristan, he was round about five. He came running to his brother, Bill, crying now bill is the older brother crying that he'd seen little black naked men with big white eyes and this was in the wood behind the hostel right right so neither of the boys dare tell the parents because they thought he wouldn't be believed but but as as tony recounts the sad thing is the younger son has no memory of this at all Right. It's just the older brother who he told, which I think is interesting because a lot of accounts, well, you know, there are there are stories of people kind of losing time and forgetting where they were. Mm. So, um, so the black fairy form, apparently, uh, I've not seen them, but I'm wondering if it's something to do um, with the way the colours are working. We speak of the grey elves, of fairies being grey. Uh, you think of the wonderful sort of pale blonde fairy um, elves, high elves. Yeah, the white. In uh, the Lord of the Ring films, yeah. Mm. And also the kind of the washed out sepia shades of the Arthur Rackham ideas of fairies and gnomes. But whenever I... I've encountered them and I, I've actually been sent a photograph that looks very like a fairy. I've the, the colours are just super real. Yeah. They're, they're so strong. And it's almost as if uh, people who speak of astral tr- projection talk about a dark sun and the landscape being very, very dark and strangely coloured. And I wonder if this is where we get the idea of the fairies being living underground it's almost like a subterranean world with its own sun possibly but, um, the colours are very very interesting anyway he, he's asked his son the, the story again and it never changes and because Bill has a condition he's got excellent recall and he says it, he, it frightened him because Tristan had been so afraid um, and then Bill took his brother to the scene later on daylight you know sort of you know when they felt safe yeah and he suggested he'd seen tree roots that could have been mistaken for figures but tristan said no the figures were human black shadowy 
and they were walking up and down the trees and they had large white eyes and he thought they had pointed black hats but he was not this is this is where it breaks down a little he's not a hundred percent sure about that Mm. so um really uh, you know when I asked him, I said, you know, could it be boggarts? Now, a boggart is um, a small, fairly malevolent creature, and they're often seen um, near ley lines. So, um, ley lines, how can I explain? There's the idea that at certain points across the landscape that join up, it could be stone circles or, you know, things like that. And there's a theory that sort of beneath the ley line, almost running in in another direction, is a negative ley, which is like, um, I've heard it described as a psychic sewer. Sounds like power lines, really, have a positive and a negative. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. The wiring of the uh, the wiring of the earth with strange lines of power. Yeah, I'm sure Mr. Lee Scalnan uh, of Coral Castle will tell you about that, and maybe even Tesla. But the idea with the, these uh, negative lines is occasionally a dowser will tap into the wrong one and get sort of knocked back and feel very ill and can actually become physically ill. Mm. But the, these are the these are where you see these boggart things. And because he was saying they were small and they were dark, I wondered if it could be that. But having said that, a boggart generally is a solitary entity you don't generally see them in troops like you would fairies on the wild hunt or whatever no it's traditionally a sort of as you say a a lonesome spirit or what you know whatever they are but there is meant to be one in our below as well up in derbyshire um which is like a stone circle so maybe a ley line runs through that but that is associated with a bogger as well yeah that could well be but tony also pointed out that you know it's near stratford was that could it be where shakespeare got the inspiration for Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm. Now, I'm from Warwickshire. Uh, dear Bill Shakespeare is sort of, you know, my blood. My father actually restored the church where Shakespeare's parents were married. And um, I know for a fact that roughly, they, they've got it down to roughly one year when A Midsummer Night's Dream was written. And he was in London at that time. However, his son Hamnet died in that same year so he would have come home but i still think i've always thought because they speak of leafy warwickshire a midsummer night's dream it's allegedly set in greece he wrote it while he was in london but i think he was homesick for warwickshire and i think i really do think it was set there but um anyway the the blindness ley line does actually run through or pretty close to stratford it starts at the isle of Wight. it goes through my my beloved whitehorse stuffington um uh through the roll right stones in oxfordshire through stratford and on up to scotland it's the longest lay in the country so um i'm just wondering if that could have at least generated this this sort of you know this vision this Mm. seeing but i do think it's very interesting that tristan has absolutely no recollection at all that is a strange one i'm going back to the 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 dark skin as well i mean there have been reports of like goblins or hobgoblins which have a naturally darker pallor well hob hob and hob was never a good name no. old hob and things like that i think they might have even used that word for the devil but um the the whole goblin thing i mean 
straight away I'm thinking of Christina Rossetti's poem The Goblin Market um, and it's a very very strange um, relationship goblins seem to have with humankind because in lots of stories and myths they're the ones they're the shoemakers yes. they're the ones who'll, who'll do a deal with you but generally it will snap back and, and, and bite you you know not the goblin but the actual deal mm. you'll find that maybe you know you they'll give you fairy good which will turn into straw in your hand or leaves in your pocket, you know. Yeah. So they are almost the tricksters of the fae family or the fae genre. So I, I'm just wondering, I mean, we will never know what Tristan saw. This is it. And, and all we've got is Bill's memory. And um, I, I really need to speak to Tony and ask him, you know, when when did they finally say this had happened? You know, because it's obviously become quite a legend in their family. But there you go. So very, very interesting story of a sighting. It is. It also reminds me of a story from when I was a child as well. On every Boxing Day, we used to go up for a, a walk into the Peak District, because I'm from Derbyshire. And there's a place up there called the Nine Sisters, which is a stone circle, which is believe was nine witches who were all turned to stone on the sabbath i'd have to double check but we went up there on boxing day and we went and it was very foggy and we were walking sort of around the stones and my brother who is about seven years younger than me went missing and we couldn't find him anywhere and obviously it was foggy so we were shouting him and shouting him and he emerged from the fog holding this big stick and he said a caveman gave it him and uh, oh, wow. and we were like, okay, fair enough. But he was adamant that a uh, basically a Neanderthal man, like a caveman, had given him That's this large bugger. stick. Surely, yeah. And uh, we asked him what he looked like, and he said he kind of had like a, a loincloth on, and he was dark, sort of not dark but dirty. And yeah. I was big into my Ray Harryhausen films when I was that age, yeah. and uh, I remember watching one of uh, one of the films, and there was this caveman. I think it was ba- I think it may have been The Lost World, and there's these cavemen there. And my brother pointed at them, and he said, "That's the man, one of the men who gave me the stick at the Stone Circle." And bearing in mind that these Stone Circles are like Neolithic as well, you know, what did he yeah. see that day? Yeah. And the weird thing is, the similarity it has with the story that you've just told me is that if you ask my brother about that event now he cannot remember anything about it it would also be interesting to look at this line this ley line and see how it travels the length of the country and see which places it passes through and see if there are any other fairy sightings or legends attributed to the path of the ley line generally ley lines are absolutely swarming with sightings of all kinds Mm. You know, um, but this oh that that's a wonderful story, and I, again immediately I'm thinking of Boggarts. Uh, but um, the Boggart though, the, I thought the Boggart in legend usually turns into something you are scared of the most. It generally doesn't come across as a friendly there's, or helpful no, um, no, spirit. You're right, you're right, you're absolutely right. But I'm thinking physical aspects sound just right. This small sort of caveman, this this um, what would you call it? Uh, troglodyte yeah, look. Yeah, exactly. You know, that is what, and also um, it's interesting because the idea obviously the film you were watching, they were talking about the Morlocks yes. and they live under the earth as well which is and there's, there's like a whole world under there so i'm just wondering 
was that channeled do you know what I mean as he was writing it as Wells was writing it was it channeled yeah I mean sightings of those types of creatures or characters are quite common with Neolithic stone circles there's a, a story which was documented at Castle Ring which is another stone circle in Canic Chase and it's got mm. like a, a bank of earth all around which was originally I think it would have been a, um, a fort but it was actually built on top of a stone circle circle as well so people have been there for thousands and thousands mm. of years and there's a story of a girl who goes there and she starts she sunbathes on a summer's afternoon on castle ring and she has a blanket and she lies down and all of a sudden she gets this really odd feeling that she's like out of time or you know something isn't quite right so she kind of sits up and looks and out of the woods come like a small troop of again neanderthal type looking men with loincloths and spears and they're struggling to pull down a creature like a winged creature almost like a gargoyle down to the ground in order to kill it in the middle of this neolithic stone circle and she says she watches them they don't notice that she's there but she watches as they pull this like winged creature down to the ground that's flapping and they all spear it and kill it then all of a sudden she snaps back out of it and she's back lying on the blanket reading a book again in the sunshine that's interesting it is it's another odd one it couldn't have been a pterodactyl because they were not around when when she said it was more like a gargoyle she said it was almost like a really interesting like a winged a winged man but with black skin and black wings that is very very harry Harrison, actually I it is that, <laughs> straight you? you can almost when yeah. you when you think of it in your head you think of it in stop motion animation yes. you don't th- yes. <laughs> you don't exactly. think of it happening smoothly it's all like is these plasticine Dirty. characters come out of that's, the woods that is exactly it what is in fact is aren't there things like that in jason the argonauts so i'm sure there are yeah, there are. There's you know, the, harpies, the harpies. Yeah, the harpies at the temple. Yeah. That is what I was thinking of. Oh, that's fantastic. I think that story, if the, if the readers wanted to list, have a read of that story, it's actually covered in Three Men Seeking Monsters by Nick Redfern, which is a really, really good book. Which is a, it's great, isn't it? It is, it's yeah. Absolutely it's, like, it's like a yeah, Scooby-Doo yeah. for adults. But that, that story is covered in that book. <laughs> I think seriously if Simon Pegg and Nick Frost need a new project I think that would be excellent it would really work you know with with their treatment it It would it's tongue-in-cheek but there's still a feeling that there is do you know what I mean there is definitely something there and it's just so well written it's a great book I've read it twice I don't I'm not a big reader but I have read that book twice and I could probably (laughs) read it again fantastic I think what we'll do now is we'll take a short break and we'll come back with more fairy sighting stories what is that and they they told me that's the fairy we've talked uh, to various people about you know John and Revelation describing locusts that uh, have wings and I, I have pictures of creatures that look exactly like that and if you look back to John's time during Revelation with his limited use of language it's very uncanny that that's to me what he's describing and these creatures are here now you're listening to the fairy podcast right so on to the next thing which is people in landscape is it not it is yeah and this is we did have a reader email um i won't mention his name because i've not cleared the fact that if i was able to mention his name or not but in one of the 
shows, I think it was episode number three, we were discussing techno camouflaging, which could be used by the military, and if it's something that is being developed at the moment. Mm. Because there are, there are a large amount of things being seen in woodland that are quite strange. Yeah. And um, this chap wrote into the show, and he, he said that he actually saw a silhouette of a soldier walk through a, a garden in Berkshire last year and he said the only reason he could actually see him was because there was an Im- intermittent point of bright flashing light so you know like when you get a dead pixel yes. on your monitor yeah um, you always note it on a black screen there's always one dot of light that you know because you've got a dead pixel on there and he said that he thinks that there was a fault with whatever he was wearing because he could see this point of light moving across a field with like a, a, a faint shadow of a man around it. How extraordinary. That sounds, that, that's amazing that it can be seen by the human eye like that because in the previous one, I mentioned my friends with their campsite and uh, how the SAS were training there. Yeah. And their minders were, um, oh, um, Oh, what are the Nepalese chaps called? Gurkhas. Gurkhas, yeah. And their Gurkha minders had this extraordinary fabric they were wearing. Yeah. And all they saw on their CCTV was just like that, like a ghostly outline, Mm. almost like something out of Predator. Exactly. That kind of really weird effect where it sort of slightly warped the surroundings around it. You could vaguely make out an outline, but it was, they said, you just did not know. The brain, the human brain goes, what is that? And sort of rejects it because you've never seen anything like it. You've got no point of reference. Yeah. Um, so I, I assumed that that was how far the technology was. Bearing in mind this was some years ago now, mm. um, so I assumed that the technology would only work like that to a camera. The fact that it will work like that to the human eye, I think, is amazing. It is. It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, you have to think as well. Everything that gets released into the military that public see sometimes or you know it has been in yeah. development for maybe 20 or 30 years yeah. previous to that the stealth bomber being a brilliant example yeah. i mean it's about 50 years old now but how many know, ufo yeah. reports report seeing black triangles yes. making strange noises flying in the air with hardly yeah. any lights on them you know it's um nine times out of ten a ufo is always going to be a piece of military hardware that the public aren't aware of and I did I did hear years ago that they were working on a skin that would reflect everything around it. Yeah. And that sounds very, very much like what this person was wearing. Yeah, but I think they've sort of used the model of um, the, the way an octopus works um, yeah. or a butterfly wing. A butterfly wing has a similar effect of being able to bend light and yes. filter out certain colours. And I think they've used, they've taken nature and used nature as a blueprint to develop this technology. Although it sounds to me, if he had like that effect of a pixel, he was almost like wearing a wearable screen that Mm. anything could be projected on, which is incredible. It kind of projects. It projects what's behind in the front, doesn't it? So, but if you, (laughs) it's so weird. It just your head is like trying to get around it. Imagine it. You know, it'd be like standing with a three sixty mirror that somehow projects through the body. Exactly. You see what I mean? That's yeah. just very odd. That's very, very odd. And there's been an increase of sightings over the last 
I would say two years definitely but if you go on a lot of YouTube channels which cover ghosts or sightings in the woods you talk about shadow people I've seen maybe two or three videos and one of them was actually in the UK of a man who was filming he's got a piece of woodland at the bottom of his garden and I think this may be the story I was talking about in the previous show and you see a definite shadow of a moving man crossing from right to left but there is no physical body it is just a faint shadow but everything else is invisible and it you can tell from the video footage how shocked he is and he's on yeah. the phone to someone at the time and he's like oh my god I can see it again I can see the shadow and you, he zooms in and you see it just walk across the bottom of his garden and he's made, he sees maybe two or three in a row walking across which would indicate some you know if it, from a military perspective some yes. form of patrol yeah um, so I've, I've actually come up with a, instead of uh, UFOs, I've actually called them UHFs, Unidentified Humanoid Forms. <laughs> <laughs> like that. This is where you heard it first, I, folks, UHFs. Right, yes. UHFs. Yeah, so not, yes, not ultra high frequency, but no. Unidentified <laughs> Humanoid Forms. Because with the military developing, I mean, the term UFO comes from the fact that it is something in the sky that is unidentifiable. It doesn't make it an alien craft. It just makes it something that's unidentifiable. Um, But that term has been coined purely on the back of primarily military hardware. So, you know, UHFs, you've got uh, the military are testing this kind of invisibility technology in woodland, in, you know, moorland. Then you are going to start to get an increase in these UHF type sightings I suppose yep as they test it or do whatever they do with it maybe they're testing it on hu- you know test it I say testing it on humans like they're aliens no I mean <laughs> testing it testing it on the public you know like yes. the general like a general hiker or whatever yeah. you know can how close can, can they me? get can yeah. you see me yeah, yeah, yeah how close can you be. get to those people having a picnic on Dartmoor you know things yeah. like that that um, sounds wonderful <laughs> but, but I've actually done a little bit of research and there's an actual it's a Canadian camouflage manufacturer called get this name Hyperstealth Biotechnology it's something oh, like out it. the, yeah. <laughs> it's like something out of the uh, the Avengers um, but they've applied for patents on something they've called quantum stealth material and uh, as the report says it's um, inexpensive and it's paper thin technology and it works by bending light around a target so either yeah yeah I have heard of this before this was how this is how they wanted to do the skin on the aircraft so yes Mm. I love the name it is (laughs) Um, but they've done it so you can alter um, either the position of something or make something vanish altogether um, leaving only the background visible so it is exactly how we said it's a a material that projects the back to the front and literally makes you vanish so this is the idea that a lot of stuff is military which has been the um, sort on a lot of anomalies over the years but can we get back to this idea of fairies and particularly the hiker thing and that really really instant weird instance about the shoes can you explain that to people please dan yeah well there is a writer called david Pilides, and i would have thought that quite a few listeners to the show already aware of who he is um yeah he's and that's very Paul Ides, p-a-u-l-i-d-e-s yeah paul yeah. ids on the end yeah yeah Sorry, he's on Twitter, isn't he? He's on lots of lots of social media platforms. He is. He's pretty much on everything. He's actually made he's, he's made a film and he's written several books, um, all on the, called the Missing Four One One series. And he's an ex policeman, and he noticed a trend of people going missing in 
American parks, typically most predominantly in Yosemite National Park. And when he approached the park services or the park rangers about these missing people, he said that they said that they they don't record the amount of people who go missing they just mm. they search for them for a few days and then call it off and just that's yeah, it just just on october the 5th he posted this is an unbelievable post it's about the national parks Conversa- conservation association um and he says mps doesn't believe it is important to know who has gone missing in their parks they claim to keep no list of missing yet without their assistance i've documented more missing people than they wish to admit mm. and uh yeah and uh, they've they've actually the national parks conservation association say the parks are a place to be free to breathe cleaner we believe the air is clean because there are so many trees there that's so far from the cities and then they wrote i think a lot of us are wrong in that seems a bit weird but that's yeah. what the npca say mm. so yeah and, and there seems to be I remember we we talked about this kind of when we first talked about doing the ferry podcast about a a weird sort of phenomena where you'll have a line of people and the person at the back goes missing. Yeah. Uh, And that is so odd. And it's, you know, done when they're fairly close together. Mm. And they just, it's just sort of when the head count's finally done, where's so-and-so not here? And that seemed to happen in over a dozen cases, did it not? It is, and it's, it's a typical horror film trope as well. It's the, last, yeah. the person at the back is always the first to get snatched. Yeah. Um, but what was weirder was the shoes. This is yeah. what fascinates me. This so, is what do- actually got me onto David Pilides in the first place, because I was listening to a podcast. Um, it was The Unexplained with Howard Hughes had that, um, David Pilides on. And it was the first time I'd ever heard any of these stories. And the more he spoke about it, the more I was thinking, that is exactly the same as fairy folklore this is what happens yeah. in fairy folklore but not at one point did anyone on the podcast attribute it to anything other than the possibility of it being bigfoot aliens or serial killers um <laughs> which obviously if you're in america then that's fantastic because you've got a hell of a lot of big you know, serial killers and you've got quite a lot of bigfoot sightings <laughs> and uh you do like your ufos but if you're coming from a more european perspective some of the things stood out as typical things that would happen during a fairy abduction and the one that really struck a chord with me was the fact that a lot of these people when they are discovered and they're dis- these are obviously the ones who are dead have no shoes on which is bizarre or didn't somebody have some and they were wrecked or something absolutely wrecked which is just so odd yeah why would you take your shoes off what's all that about um and i i like the idea i i just wondered if it's anything to do with these dancing manias almost i don't know if you if you know about this um there was a welsh folklore the young servant and he was called judah apainian geoff or something or you'd say a glove, I won't try and uh, I won't try and repeat that it's G-L-O-F-F <laughs> F-F is double is uh, I know it'd be Gloff it would be Gloff he had a mad dance with a party of fairies or Gothlands um, in a hollow halfway up the hill to Castle Dinas Bran which is the castle you know very well over yes. Langothlan and uh, I was told it was in the 1700s and his master had uh, been looking for this guy and he found him up on the mountain dancing like crazy Mm. and his shoes wrecked and everything and he had to kind of like um, pray over him and get him to come back 
and he did manage to break the spell and get him back mm. so um you know it, it could be <laughs> and me being a cynic i'm thinking you know was he simply sleeping off you know something and well, yeah, he here's the coming along and then leaps up and starts dancing thinking this will be a good excuse i don't know but then you've got the dancing mania in strasbourg the dancing plague of 1518 um and around 400 people started dancing for days without rest mm. and uh, a load of them died of heart attack stroke or exhaustion and it, it took they the although they danced for days it spread and the whole thing lasted about a month which is just bizarre and that was july 1518 apparently yeah but um but back to the back to the people with, with no shoes it is it a very just, common trope in fairy is stories odd, isn't, isn't it, it? Of yeah. people being Be danced to yeah. death uh, or yeah. accepting a gift from a fairy yeah. um, like a cake or some yeah. item of food and they get dragged along to some fairy celebration uh, where they have a, the an amazing shoes. time and the shoes get danced yeah. off basically the shoes as well um you know how many cobblers are in fairy stories shoes seem to be an incredibly important theme in folklore mm. um you've got you've got here the cobbler i don't know if you know the the story about how uh, there there are various extremely strange lumpy mountains in shropshire um and the, the the they just sort of rise out of what is apparently a plane and you're like well, how did that happen so the story is a giant was carrying uh he, he'd heard that the people of shrewsbury were um had been saying bad things about him so he picked up a, a spade full of, of earth which is the size of a mountain and yeah. he was going to go and dump it on shrewsbury and uh he, he met a cobbler on the road who had a big sack of, of shoes on his back uh, who just collected them to take them home and mend and uh, the cobbler sees the giant and he says what are you doing he says oh they've really annoyed me the people of Shrewsbury I'm going to go and dump this soil on them and hide them under them, a mountain and uh, the cobbler and he said how far is Shrewsbury he said well it's so far away look these are all the shoes I've worn out trying to, to, to walk back away from there so this is, that's how far and apparently the, the giant went no oh, can't be bothered and dumped this this little soil on the land and stomped <laughs> off home which is the explanation as why you've got these weird hills in Shropshire hmm. which I think is a great story um but the elves and the shoemaker elves and the shoemaker shoemakers yeah. yeah they're always and when you think it wasn't sort of that it, it must be a fairly recent um uh, industry really shoemaking you know sandal making fair enough you know going back into antiquity but it, it they can't be that old stories if they've got cobblers and shoemakers in them it is yes. it is old maybe they they've got some sort of medieval yeah well, there, there is an idea you know that that um you know shoes represent all sorts of things i mean this is why you know in the arab spring various people are taking off their shoes and throwing them at people because mm. it's a sign of extreme disrespect yeah. um you know to make a political point but it, it's obviously that shoes really seem to mean something i've got a tiny pair of um sammy um as in finnish shoes hanging up in my car and they, they're probably less than what a centimeter long beautifully made absolutely perfect and uh, it seems to be the thing you have them you hang them up for good luck so there you go so uh, 
Mm. But anyway, there was this other thing you were telling me about this lady picking berries who went missing. Yeah, I think it it wasn't too long ago, actually, but an old lady um, was picking berries in America in uh, in one of the parks, in in a place where they usually pick berries from. And she she just vanished. I think she went with a daughter and uh, a friend and she was picking berries and she vanishes and then she's discovered a week later sat in a inaccessible piece of woodland it was so thick that the actual search party had to, i think it took them maybe an hour to actually get through the undergrowth to the position where the old lady was and they found her sat in a puddle you know, actually in water um, and she was alive was she she was alive yeah goodness and uh she just reports the thing is with these news reports it's very strange because the news reporters don't ask the questions that we would ask they just report on the fact that she went missing and she was found and who found her they don't try and fill in the gaps of where she'd been or what happened to her they don't seem to ask the person who's gone missing who comes back any of that any of those questions they just give us the information of she disappeared on this date she was found on this date and she was found in this position at no point to the news reports go a little deeper and say you know she so we don't know where she you know what she uh, felt or where she said she went to um they just report the fact that she was discovered again and she got a little bit disoriented in the woods um which is an unfortunate thing because there's so many people out there who've probably disappeared and reappeared You've yeah. got a story to tell and it's never really going to get out there. So the people like us who really want to hear it are never going to hear that. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm looking at the uh, at the uh, Pallides thing here as well. He's even picked up on the Nora Curran case, you know, that awfully sad story of, of the young girl. She was an Irish girl and she went missing in Malaysia. Um, and, this uh, is the one who it, fell out of the aeroplane. No, no, no. This is no. this is. Um, she she went missing. It was I think it was sometime this summer. Um, yeah, it was August. And uh, Nora, um, I think she had an Irish mother and a, a French dad. And uh, she was the she was a teenager, and she'd been they'd gone to Malaysia. Um, and one of the um, the rescuers, one of the search volunteer, claim claims that she couldn't have made it where she was found on her own that was it i remember this story because yeah. she was special needs if That's i'm right. correct yeah. in thinking yeah. and but wasn't yeah. she wasn't she raped and murdered by somebody no i don't think they they just i don't think they found that i'm almost sure they didn't i could well be wrong but i thought she was just found that she'd been wandering around right, um, she to... cast off most of her clothes she was just in her underwear but no i don't think she she that had happened to her but um, but the volunteers said she would have found it impossible to cross dense jungle, especially barefoot. Again, yeah. her shoes had gone. So mm. that's interesting, isn't it? That her shoes had gone. So it is. I'm sure go. fairies have a shoe fetish. It's a bit like in a, in a weird way, do. they have a bit of a connection with serial killers in the fact that they they probably like taking trophies, and it's usually shoes. <laughs> yeah, I, it could well be. I mean, aren't you supposed to... I'm sure there's some, some folklore about you're supposed to leave shoes out for the fairies. There is. There's a I'm Christmas sure, one. Yeah. There's, a, there's a Christmas one, which is called St. Nicholas, I think. So obviously, we've had lots of German au pairs, and they have yeah. it, I think it's um, a week, maybe two weeks before Christmas, but they leave their shoes out, 
And if they've been bad, their shoes are filled with coal. And if they're good, their shoes are filled with um, sweets, I think. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah, so we, we tried it with our boys because we had the German au pair. And, you know, you just can't find coal full of nor money in Kent. So we had to fill it with sweets. <laughs> <laughs> So, but you did try. It's lovely that you tried. I'm we so did try pleased. it. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> we uh, thought it'd be good to sort of have a little bit of German culture as we've got German au pairs, and the boys yeah. hadn't worked, hadn't learnt a word of German in the full four years, which was the original <laughs> intention. So we did this thing anyway with the shoes, and uh, yeah, we uh, yeah they found their shoes full of sweets in the morning. So that was quite sweet. But yeah, again, it, it's it's the shoe connection. So we've also, I mean, we're talking about people going missing, but there's that wonderful stream. I'm sure it probably deserves a whole episode of its own. The Green Children of Woolpit, the children who turned up. Yeah, um, that is a, a very is, odd one. This is very, very odd. It's um, in Suffolk. There's a village called Woolpit and two children appeared and they were green. And they um, they ended up integrating in the village, did they not? And it's 12th century. So, um how can I explain when you watch a TV show or a film or something there are certain tropes you know if the music is a certain way something's going to happen well if you can imagine the old troubadours who'd go around telling uh, tales of um, uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and uh, there were lots and lots I mean these guys who went around and told their stories they were almost like a, a moving cinema and people would pack into a big hall to just listen to these stories and any time green was mentioned there would be a, a certain frisson around the audience because green denoted fairy folk um, absolutely so the minute you said well Sir Gawain came in and there was a green night people would have been like whoa you know it would have been the something supernatural going on so the mere fact that these children turned up and they were green is just incredible There's, there is apparently a thing called hyperchromic anemia where you can appear green but um, the whole story, it's just very, very strange. And Woolpit still has on its village um, sign um, two green children, which I think is lovely. But they, 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 um, they, they had green skin. They spoke an unknown language. Um, they became ill and the boy died, but the girl recovered and she learned English. Yeah. And she told them that they came from a place called St. Martin's Land, which existed in an atmosphere of permanent twilight and where the people lived underground. And, um, you know, it's just the weirdest, weirdest story. And we don't know what happened to her after that, whether she married, had her own children or anything. Now, I think um, I listened to a podcast where a chap had actually researched further into it. Um, the story that he came to or his conclusion that he came to was so bizarre and far out that I had no interest in it um, but he did do the research the historical research to try and formulate where she went to and she she married a nobleman I believe and um, she she had lived had children and somewhere there are descendants of you know the, the green children of Woolpit or the a, a green child of Woolpit a green child that's someone incredible. with fairy blood maybe but his yeah. conclusion he came to was that they teleported from another planet as part of an experiment right. which was which actually sounds even more bizarre than the fact they came from St Martin's land from a yeah. land of permanent twilight but they were an experiment from a, another planet who were somehow beamed down to earth which you know I mean 
the the podcast that it was on was interesting at first, but it kind of just petered off into yeah this has just gone is ba- and the fact that the chap is a science fiction writer so yes. he's, he's well, taken yes. yeah and he's used his artistic license to create a whole new story about it I think and he's ad- advertising it on the back of the fact that it's to do with the green children of Woolpit right but but very weird but this um, I mean I think there is a pretty good sort of case we made they could well have had some kind of chlorosis some kind of anemia which can make you look your skin give a green tinge but that story um, though that story how many you know it's such a strange story yes. for two children to come up with and have and also have yeah. no parents looking for them or yeah. you know I mean we look back and we think okay yeah medieval times everyone was rolling around in dirt with like leather hats on and you know throwing <laughs> throwing quite, throwing yeah. rotten turnips at each other but no you know people were generally still quite civilised you know there yes. were laws and people yeah. did things and if these children were missing then there would have been an attempt to try and find and relocate yeah. them with their parents which just didn't happen because there weren't any and the any. thing is even if yes but even if they did come from St Martin's land why didn't the people from St Martin's land come and look for them and how did they make it how did they make it out of there and surely I mean if there had been versions of you and me then and I think there would have been wouldn't you have gone looking for where they came from exactly I'd have been show me show me the yeah show me the the tunnel entrance that you came out of yeah yeah this really sounds a hell of a lot like a Yordscott script um, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, except that the children were actually disappearing into the the, yeah. the actual ground rather than reappearing out of the ground. But yeah. in your Scott as well, um, they had those little strange root things, didn't they? That yes. they would get infected with, which would yeah. eventually take them over. They become almost like plant life or part of the actual forest themselves. Which indeed, well, no, let's not ruin the story, but no, yes, no. absolutely. But let's yeah. recommend, I mean, we, I think we spoke about it in the very first episode, but your yes. Scott is probably the best modern fairy tale you could probably see, I think. Yeah, I think so on TV. Um, I think that, um, well, it starts off like a Scandi noir, doesn't it? A police Mm. procedural. And then it takes this incredibly unexpected turn. But that is so well conceived within the story. It's absolutely brilliant. But... um, yeah, so definite recommend, folks. Um, go yeah, see if you can Scott. find it. Yord Scott. It's on DVD. Series one is definitely. Series two is not yet. I don't think. I'm not sure. I think yes. Yeah, yeah, series it's, two is available, but it's it's not as not as good as the first. But no, it's still it's still it's highly last, watchable. Um, yeah. It, it, but the it just loses though, the woodland feel because it's all yeah. shot in the Scandinavian um, Swedish forests, um, at, just outside of Stockholm. And yeah. it's just got such a, an amazing feel to it. And it incorporates so many parts of um, fairy, uh, so, so many elements of fairy folklore into yeah. it that you just, you know, you all the time you're watching it. And it's it's just an amazing show. And it, it you know, I just can't really uh, say enough about it, to be honest. So I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and but of yeah. course you've got the last changeling which uh is is uh, a modern fairy story which i've never I heard of that write. i've never heard of that where's that <laughs> there you go. yeah but um so uh what else have we yeah. got to uh 
Well, the, yeah, the green children, oh, obviously. Um, I think the green children is something we may come back to. Uh, it is something you could probably do a show on. There's so many theories about what they were, and I mean, I mean, the whole thing, wall pit. You know, it comes from the ancient English of for wolf pit. Yeah. So even that is like interesting, you know, mm. and uh, the the whole thing of of where they came from, and of course you've you've got. Um, You've got them speaking beautiful English, according to somebody um, here. I, I'm listening to uh, a chap called Richard de Colne, and he took them to be baptised. It's very reminiscent of an Irish um, story of, the, of the, um, the swans. Not that it's the same story. It's not reminiscent in that way. It, it's like a pagan entity taken and made into a Christian one. Right, and I think I think there's a degree of that going on with the story as well, you know. Yeah. So uh, introducing Christianity's children, you know, and the ages aren't don't seem to be terribly well recorded. They're just they're going off as children, which assuming at that time you were sort of almost into adulthood by the time you were twelve. So a child would been be a child. Yeah, yeah, you were talking. Yeah. I think you were talking yeah. maybe six and eight. Yeah. That's the sort yeah. of I, that's I, the kind I of idea I get. Yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. Because yeah, when you were absolutely. like twelve, you were pretty much worked half to death yeah. and <laughs> married, yeah. maybe with, yeah, with it, your yes. children. Um, <laughs> but the thing we're going back to the old lady with the berry bushes. Yeah. That is another common fairy folklore trope as well in also in the david polides stories as well where people go missing where they're out yeah. picking for berries or fruit um and there, there are a hell of a lot of fairy stories where you, you know you're either told not to pick the fruit from that particular tree at a certain yeah. time um, going back to the bible come on you know not only do you have the whole apple idea in the bible uh, you've got a chinese version where you uh, the the female was told not to eat the sacred strawberries Right. So this thing of, of fruit not being able to eat them, it seems to be. And when you think about it, you know, ancient peoples, fruit would have been, wow, sugar, great. Yeah. You know, it's such a scarce resource. You know, it seems odd to say, oh, well, no, you can't actually eat it unless it's out and out poisonous. That's true, yeah. And you're actually not meant to eat blackberries after the 31st of October, Halloween. Yeah. Um, it yeah. says the blackberries are not fit to eat after the 31st of October because the pixies have been all over them. That's bizarre, isn't it? That's yeah. just incredible. I've heard that. I also heard a version where the devil's supposed to be in them as well. All right. You know? I'm pretty so sure I've eaten, I've eaten loads of blackberries after the 31st of October. They're usually in a crumble that my mum brings down when she comes down to Kent. But, um, <laughs> but I've eaten so many after the 31st of October. Oh, so. well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So hey-ho. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, so it's kind of interesting that fruit is such a scarce resource, you know, or would have been. Um, it just seems odd to sort of forbid people that bit of fun. Mm. You know, it seems very strange indeed. But yeah. there you go. Unless it was people saying don't have them and they were secretly nipping off and having them themselves. Well, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's... For it to spread so far, you know, and so be so part of folklore it seems a bit strange that one man's greed would become a well-known yeah. thing i mean another thing people tend to go missing near as well is boulder fields and yeah. a lot of things are spotted near boulder fields as well and this goes back to the icelandic idea that fairy fairy the, rocks or fairy boulders yes. is actually where they yeah. live uh, did i tell yeah. I've, i may have spoken on the show about the the tunbridge wells bigfoot 
of all things. Have you ever heard of the story? No, I haven't heard that. Go well, on. in the centre of Tunbridge Wells, there's a park and it has an outcrop of rocks which lead along to a place called High Rocks, which was a Neolithic, well, where cavemen used to live, basically. But there's this big pile of rocks in the middle of the, the town with a bit of woodland around it. And back in the 40s, um, there was reports of a large eight foot hairy man with red eyes spotted in the woods now there's hardly any woods there it's i wouldn't even say it's you know it's just a couple of acres at the most and it's not deep this? woodland this was in when the was 40s this? but it was spotted right. again back in not too long ago actually i think if i'll put right. a link to it on the show notes but the the tunbridge wells bigfoot was spotted not too long ago as well so it kind of pops up about every every 60 years but the way where he was spotted was right next to this outcrop of rocks as well which if you look at them are very very similar to the Icelandic um, mm. fairy churches or the fairy fairy stones yeah because um, there was a, not too long ago there was a motorway they were going to build across Iceland and it was stopped because somebody claimed there was a fairy chapel inside yes. a rock one of these um, glacial erratics I think they're called just this big sort of lump of stone sort of in the middle of the landscape yeah and um yeah that that's you know that can all be googled you can see that was that was reasonably recent i think within the last couple of years yeah our cab driver who took us from the airport from the Reykjavik airport into Reykjavik he was telling us that he had he's got a large stone in his back garden that the children used to play wally against you know for those who are not listening wallies when you kick a ball to each other but bounce it off the rock and he, he wanted to move it so the council had to come along and they basically said you can't move it it's a fairy <laughs> rock and it's got to stay <laughs> there the yeah. yeah so the, so the kids just continually kick their ball against it which must really <laughs> piss the fairies off <laughs> <laughs> yeah really but linking back to the the fairy stones and the david Pallides stories which sort of always revolve around the possibility that it could be bigfoot um yeah actually abducting these people and you know dragging them for miles and leaving them on you know rocks or deeper in the woods um i this kind of struck a nerve with me because obviously you've got the the bigfoot um being spotted by these rocks as well in yeah. tunbridge wells um i've just had a quick look at the, my dates and the uh it was first spotted about 70 years ago during world war Two. it was spotted again in 2012 um, by two old people who were sat on a bench having a picnic when the old man heard something behind him and heard a deep growl and looked to see an eight foot shambling hairy figure with glowing red eyes behind him so they uh, they beat a hasty retreat back to the car park um but could it not be a spirit of place though as much as something real exactly which i think well my my thing about bigfoot is that it isn't a physical um a physical entity as is actually some form of either something that moves interdimensional or it is a form of forest spirit a bit like the you know the old english wood woes yeah um, which are essentially bigfoot at the end of the day it's uh, the green man yeah but yeah yeah so anyone visiting tunbridge wells we i take the kids bigfoot hunting quite often we go down there's a nice cricket ground there and the, the rocks are actually right next to the cricket ground so you can sit on the rocks and watch the cricket and the woodland actually just surrounds it if you go on google earth and look on tunbridge wells you'll see the rocks and you'll see how little woodland there is 
so nothing physical could actually live in there you know there's just no space for it to live you're in the middle yeah. of a town so it has to be some form of thing that moves from dimension to dimension or is a spiritual like a forest spirit or something along those lines i think what you'll find though is is um lots and lots of places are supposed to have this genus loci or or spirit of place and i just wonder if this is this is various emanations of of spirit of place Mm. um i mean and they're all they all seem different as well which is quite interesting yeah um i don't know that um i think it was rupert sheldrake who was doing a thing about you know going into places and feeling watched yes and uh he did um quite an interesting survey he got a load of people to sort of um almost like uh, citizen science to take part in this survey and I, I, I'm afraid I have to say I don't know what the outcome was but last time I looked at it it was all looking really interesting hmm. um, but I went to a, um, a, a seminar a series of seminars in Liverpool called Spirits of Place um, led by a chap called John Repian and um, very interesting um, there's, there's this whole idea now psychogeography which exploits this and, and a lot of the times they were talking about liminal spaces so the place between land and water okay. and wherever there's a border like some kind of I'm not talking about a political border I'm talking like um, a change of terrain they're the kind of places you're going to find these odd anomalies and sense these these spirits and maybe even see them which I think is fascinating. Uh, so places like marshland, it's neither the sea nor the land, places like that. And you can yeah. think of, of certain bleak spots, you know, that seem to draw, um, I don't know, they draw a spirit of loneliness to them, but mm. also a spirit. Sometimes you feel you shouldn't be there. I felt it very, very strongly. There's um, at Capel Kerrig, there is, which is in North Wales, there is a, a lovely walk up to a place called the Pinnacles and it's quite a steep climb but before you get there you enter quite a steep valley and there is such a sense of foreboding there it's extraordinary now this could be down to all sorts of things um, there are theories that certain places um, promote infrasound which is you know way below the, the the human hearing but you can still sense it through your body yeah and infrasound is the thing that is supposed to make you see ghosts now it could be rocks grinding far below our feet or it could be simply the shape of a valley that that funnels a wind in a particular way that it, it makes this resonance yeah it's a standing wave isn't it infrasound generally it's, the, it's where the the dimensions of the waveform fit perfectly into the environment so what happens yeah. is if you they take a sine wave which is a circle but sort of taken apart and flipped the the sine wave would actually bounce backwards and forwards and as it bounces backwards and forwards it gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point it actually starts to affect the environment around it oh that's interesting yeah so you can get a standing wave in a room which is why they've attributed some hauntings to standing waves or infrasound so you know you have a piece of equipment that's generating a a sound at a certain frequency and just out of pure coincidence the dimensions of the room match one single cycle of that sound Mm. um, which is usually obviously so deep it's out of the human hearing range but that waveform will bounce backwards and forwards to the point it either resonates some part 
part of your body your eye your, your eyes or your ears or actually starts to physically move things within the room it generates so much power and they are you know, scientifically proven yeah that's very strange incredible. and it, it is it true that they were working on this for a battlefield weapon as well at one point yes they have they looked at are. they have yeah they have looked at using yeah. sound um I think the, the the resonant frequency of the human eyeball is something like 18 hertz. Right. Um, so, which is just below what we can hear. I think 20 hertz is the lowest we can hear. So, just out just out of that range, if you resonate the eyeball at 18 hertz, yeah. it actually vibrates in the socket. Um, which will cause you to hallucinate and see things. But every part of your body has a resonant frequency, including your heart, your kidneys. So is you are able to fire sound at certain parts of the body and control them or disable them, you know, the, and essentially. That's bizarre. I know I know that's supposedly what, what dolphins are supposed to do as well, isn't it? Hmm. Because they, they can actually fire sonic waves at, at other things and they're supposed to have uh, aren't they supposed to have been using it practicing on bottlenose dolphins or something in some places. I wouldn't uh, yeah, I'm not them. sure yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah quite but horrible. But it's 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 a bit Kate Bush experiment nine, isn't it? it really, is exp- yeah, 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 sound as a weapon. <laughs> um but you you know, you're com- you're completely right in the fact that a location, i.e. a valley or uh, yeah. where sound or wind would generally channel up um, yeah. could create a form of standing wave or infrasound which would basically screw you up if you're there. Yeah. Um, but it could be as well that these areas, like you could say these borders or these borderlands, have a form of protective spirit there, like a guardian. Mm. Um, yeah. It's a perfect place. You always put a guardian at a border don't you oh yes of course yes you do you yeah. always put someone somewhere to guard it for whatever yeah. reason to stop things from passing through maybe they're there to stop other spirit things from passing from that area to that area or could be could yeah be. I, I do know that i had my cat magnus with me magnus magnificat he used to come on a lot of my my rumblings and i felt he was particularly unwelcome which is mm. interesting because yeah, that's basically a fairy thing yeah <laughs> you know they really it's interesting because you know, we, we've said this before people who like fairies generally like cats yeah. but fairies don't like cats in, yeah, in well, I definitely nearly don't like every cats. story yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm a this. definitely no I'm a no cat person so <laughs> no dog either <laughs> yeah I'm not animals full stop I, yeah, uh, I yeah. don't I've got no affinity with animals at all it's very strange that's interesting yeah uh, at least you tolerate your children's that's something. i do yeah i can, you know, I can just about handle humans um <laughs> sometimes <laughs> so so where where do you think we are with all of this we've got some things we can describe as possibly military uh some things we can describe as human intervention with people going missing yeah but we still have kind of quite a large n- number of these unexplained you know, missing people cases. I mean, back to the Nora Nora Corrin's death. Um, apparently, the canines, the dogs couldn't find her scent at all. That is a strange one. In, that is just weird. She was found in an area previously searched and there were no tracks near her body. It was like she'd literally been flown in and dropped there. It's yeah, or picked up by something that doesn't leave any tracks. I mean, talk about the Bigfoot. I've always thought of Bigfoot 
don't know if anyone else thinks like this as well, but I've always thought of Bigfoot as like the bumblebee of the fairy world or the worker. They come out and they do things and they disappear again. And it's almost like they they come out to come and take things or take things from our world back to their world are they taking people are they picking them up and moving them from one place to another to do something or you know wumble than bumblebee a womble (laughs) yeah i suppose yeah a womble but i I see them as like a word the reason i say bumblebee i suppose it's because they're big and furry but they're they're outworking they're doing stuff they're the, the the almost like the bog standard woodland spirit you know the the lowest of the low a, a woodwows stuff like that yeah, yeah. But you see i would put gnomes because they're really hard working and they the way they manipulate rocks the way they manipulate objects you know but they're not very it's good for abducting people it? though are they gnomes no, you can get a gnome no. can sling a uh, an old lady picking berries under its arm and run off into the woods probably with it. not but then again you know fairies take children of all different sizes and people they do but generally they just they just use the the fairy glamour to draw them Mm. so i have a problem with bigfoot i really do because i i woodwows yep green man yep bigfoot it just seems a bit kind of recent to me although it isn't obviously it isn't because you've got you've got the um the abominable snowman haven't you in in the in the himalayas yeah but um those those really haunting pictures of these strange footprints in the I snow think that's almost been proven to be a type of bear i think really? um right. yeah there was a documentary on not too long ago and they found a, in they actually got some hair samples and they sent them to London at the Natural History Museum to be analysed and they had a perfect DNA match with a type of ice, um, a bear from the Ice Age, which is now extinct. But it's almost like a almost like a polar bear but bigger <laughs> if right. you can imagine Goodness. which and obviously which walks on its can walk on its hind legs so yeah. everyone who sees the the yeti um, sees it on its hind legs so if you if you've come across a bear in the woods they tend to rear up on their back legs yeah. anyway giving it a bipedal appearance but it's actually not it's you know it walks around on four legs but yeah they put it down yeah. to this extinct bear that went extinct 10,000 years ago I think um, so there's, it could, there could be this yeah, it bear. Could be hanging walking. on. I mean, goodness me, um, the coelacanth was supposed to be extinct. Exactly. And they found that in the 30s, wasn't it? They found that. So, yes. Um, yeah. in, 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 in the Indian Ocean, wasn't it? In a particularly deep part of the Indian Ocean, I think, they found coelacanth still alive. I understood that somebody just, just fished one and literally kind of hooked one and was like, what the hell is this? Ooh, it was this is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go but um i mean the whole i don't know i don't know why i've just got a problem with bigfoot i'm afraid is it Mm. that it's it's too modern for me i don't know and it it seems a very physical thing whereas fairies to me are are entities that are astride the different um realities as it were if i can put it that's a really bad way of putting it but you know they still what I mean? have a physical Fairies presence though don't they yeah. if you when you when they, you see them they are like a physical thing something you could reach out and touch yeah i've never heard of a big foot having being the other way though being having that sort of multi-dimensionality to it 
Well, they, they kind of appear and disappear, though, don't they? They have the ability yeah, to... Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely seeing what you're saying for the first time, yeah. Mm. And it, yeah, it's they have really the ability striking. to be there yeah. and then vanish and and sometimes leave no trace as well. You don't find their hair. Um, you know, obviously you get some people who say they've found Bigfoot hair, but it always belongs to a, a dog or yeah. a bear. But, yeah. you know, when people have seen Bigfoot, they remark on how quickly it's there and how quickly it's just gone and it leaves yeah. no trace. You might get the odd footprint but you know i would say half of those are fake size as well you would expect crashing around you know yeah but uh and they do appear they do appear in various cultures having the same sort of the same description um and i think even in the uh native american indians uh, you know their legends they have legends of bigfoot like creatures obviously before it was called bigfoot um, although Bigfoot is quite a Native American type name, isn't it? It is, um, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Kind so, of describes, um, describes its basic appearance. So, so what we've got is we say don't be last in a line of people when you're going out hiking. <laughs> yeah. Does this mean people are going to hike sort of dancing around in circles or something? <laughs> I mean, yeah, just tie each other together. <laughs> you could invent a new type of hiking belt, uh, an anti, an anti fairy or anti <laughs> anti serial killer hiking belt, which is it's just carabiners that you just link together, and then you just say, if, have if to what, be, to be anti fairy, they'd have to be made of iron. They would, so oh, they would. Yeah, yeah, if we know iron carabiners, there, fancy yeah. doing iron carabiners. I think that could be it. Yeah. So when the back one goes, everyone else goes with it. But yeah, you know, maybe everyone goes then. Maybe you whole, lose a whole hiking party. <laughs> Another thing not to be as well is good at hiking because. David Polides reports that nearly everyone who goes missing, it says it in all the news reports as well, there were always confident hikers or outdoors people who'd spent years and years outdoors. Some of them yeah. are ex-armed forces, yet they still go missing um, in what is relatively i mean you're not like talking about hiking in the himalayas or in the deepest amazon rainforest you're talking national parks in america Um, they are remote but it's not impossible terrain you know there's there's a lot harder more unforgiving terrain out there than there is in yosemite national park so just being good at hiking so yeah don't be good at hiking go out in your flip-flops um with no water (laughs) (laughs) with no water uh and yeah uh maybe a chocolate bar and you're like more likely to come back than these super professionals who go missing absolutely it's it's interesting though um there there are because i was thinking then about the times i used to go hiking in um um, snowdonia and also up in the lake district yeah and you would not think of uh you know that that would be a place where people go missing but there was a chap who um decided that the modern army were getting really soft and i think i'm sorry to say it but i think he was barking but he filled his his uh, rucksack full of house bricks and strode off confidently and i think his body was found about six months later um so yeah absolutely he was going to live off the land and he was going to be what with house bricks i was going to build a little house or (laughs) no no he was doing that just to to you know just just to give himself yeah just to prove a point and unfortunately he didn't you know 
but um, yeah, um, but there's there's an interesting story about um, a party of school children. This happened near Grasmere in the Lake District, um, and anyone who knows the area, it's very beautiful. It's uh, known for Wordsworth um, and Dove Cottage, but um, there'd been set up a school party, I think this was in the 60s, maybe 70s, and they were going to go and hike one of the high fells. And, I mean, they they can be chilly up there. It can be Arctic up there, and it's quite balmy down the valleys, but nothing particularly difficult. Um, and the school teacher involved had arranged for a mountaineer to accompany them. Um, and at the very very last minute, the mountaineer couldn't make it, so the vicar said. I'll come, you know, and I'll, I'll go with you. And they were slightly worried because he was incredibly overweight and very unfit. But uh, nevertheless, the the, um, the teacher told the ladies who were doing the, they were preparing a meal for the children when they came back. So she said to the dinner ladies, we'll be back at this time. This is the route we're taking. Uh, anyway, they started climbing up a particular fell and I've climbed it and it is some kind of a green hell. It just is such a pull up this fell. And about a third of the way up, the vicar said, look, I can't do this. Can we do another route? So immediately they were straight off from where they said they were going to be. Um, and he climbed considerably higher and he started looking very, very unwell. So the teacher very quickly pitched the tent, said vicar called in and promptly died. So this poor woman is now on uh, an unfamiliar fell, dead vicar in a tent and a load of crying children who by now are. They don't know what's happened, but they're just they just want to go home. So she sends the two eldest children down alone to go back to the school. Now, by this time, they are at least an hour later than they said they'd be back. But the dinner ladies simply assumed they were having a lovely time and didn't call anybody. By the time the two kids got back, it was dark. Um, the dinner ladies were alarmed. They called Mountain Rescue. Uh, and of course, the map was no good because they weren't there. And the quickest way to um, cover hills is they have these search and rescue dogs and they can they can quarter a hill very, very quickly. But they were they were I can't remember what the story is, but for some reason they were still looking in the wrong place. Um, anyway, eventually they, they located the children and they brought them down the hill safely. But one of the rescuers said, if it wasn't for the lights all around you, we wouldn't have found you. But none of the children had torches. And those are pre-mobile phone days. And that, that's quite a well-reported story. But I think yeah. that's really interesting. It is. It goes back so, to the brown mountain lights. Doesn't in, it? Um, so yeah. what the lights were, and or, you know, you, you have these stories that fairies actually actively try to abduct children. And here they are sort of being nice. You know, it's like sort of goes against the grain a bit, really. But yes, all the children were safe. Yeah, um, it could be I, that they yeah. only need to abduct them at certain times for specific things. Where you know, if you're, if they struck it lucky like those children, they you know they weren't required at that time, uh, or something like that. I don't know. It's just, it is odd. Or you know, different types of fairies prefer taking children, and some prefer taking you know athletic well, men there's, there's, or there's old ladies whole, well there's a the whole thing of changelings as well which obviously is in my book um but you know there, there's um 
there's all sorts of stories about change things. There's the horrible one about the the woman in Ireland, Bridget McCleary, who got burnt by her husband on the fire after hours of torture because he decided she was a changeling, um, and she died. But there were a couple in Wales, in in apparently in in the about 1600s they took a child this is hollywell in flintshire which isn't terribly far from where i am and they took their baby and left it all night under what they they call the fairy oak um and the idea was they they the child had got sort of a bit you know um what's the word you know crying a lot and Colic. just not quite well yeah well yeah. obviously yes uh, anyway, it got a bit peevish, so they decided Annoying. it was a changeling. <laughs> Annoying, yeah. Yeah, that's they what I like to call it. That's it. They left it out all night under this fairy oak, and the idea is that the fairies go, all right, the game's up, and return the proper child. Um, anyway, they went back the next day, and the child was fine, and they took it home. So uh, <laughs> I don't know whether the cold cured its colic, but the baby was fine. Yeah. Um, but there's other stories about them, you know, mothers dangling children off bridges, if not actually throwing them into water, mm. um, you know, to try and make the fairies. The fairies will then relinquish the human child and try to save their own. Yeah. Uh, but there's some horrible stories. And you think about it, you know, if you could not explain, say, autism or Down syndrome or something like that, you would possibly say, well, the child is a changed you know yeah and it definitely as an, an excuse to sort of you know to really be pretty horrible to your own kid but um but there's no further story about what happened in hollywell so uh but quite interesting but well i think what we're going to do now is we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment had an encounter with the Reefork you can't explain. We'd love to hear about your experiences. Send your tales to stories at thefairypodcast.com Hello and welcome back to the Fairy Podcast. So that was quite an interesting show. We covered quite a bit of ground there, didn't we, Fiona? Absolutely. And you've given me lots to think about, about Bigfoot. I think uh, I never saw him, her it as a, a, a fairy type being but maybe i need to change my mind i think they're all fairy type beings to be honest even things down to like the loch ness monster i think they all probably exist within the same sort of dimension it's just that we kind of segregate them a bit maybe they're just all part of the same world and somehow, somehow pop their heads up now and again into ours uh, maybe we sometimes pop our heads into theirs. Maybe that's the people who never come back, who go wandering yeah. in the woods. Who knows? Oh, and they're found with no shoes while their bodies are. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice, maybe an interesting thing, maybe for one show, to see if we can get hold of David Pallides and see if he's willing to talk. I was thinking that exactly, yes. Yeah, absolutely. see if he's willing to talk about us and the relation between the similarities in the people who go missing and fairy folklore see if it's something he's willing to talk about you do find though that people aren't so forthcoming when you say you're you're on a fairy podcast they generally will talk about anything but when it comes to talking about fairies they're a bit like actually no not today thanks and yet i think there's incredibly strong evidence that fairies and aliens are the same thing i really do definitely well that's another show in itself as well you know going into arthur mackens the white people and 
you know all of this type of there's, there's a whole there's a whole of the show there and the, these these shows are quite good I mean I know we've done the last show where we did like an interview or we just based it on one particular subject but these shows where we take an idea or something in fairy folklore and bat the idea backwards and forwards to see if we come yeah. to any conclusion these, these shows are just as uh, as interesting I think as the ones just based on one particular subject absolutely and when you start going into it the whole fairy realm it's so wide there are so many things you can talk about you know from the art and literature to um where it sort of uh, overlaps with uh reality which is what we've been talking about today mm. well, that's why we do the podcast <laughs> indeed and i think that just about wraps it up for this episode of the fairy podcast now before the next one comes out, I'm going to be going to Ireland on this quest for fairies in the fairy field on Pat Noon's farm. When are you going? So, um, it's going to be in a few days. So oh, yeah, you don't want to give the date away, so there's no people <laughs> exactly, there exactly. to greet you. Um, yeah, so that's top secret, top secret Absolutely. date. Absolutely. And also, like I say, I may or may not be back for the next one. We'll have to see. Apparently, uh, this farm is so riddled with fairies that many people find it impossible to stay the night there. Mm. So, uh, yeah, interesting, eh? <laughs> so, you'll either be back in seven years' time, and I'll, I'll have like to carry on go. doing the podcast yeah. on yeah. my own. Yeah, yeah so I'll, I'll be there saying, yeah. So, uh, so how was Brexit and all that? Yeah, so, well, anyway, anyway, I look forward to seeing you sometime in the future. Yeah, and uh, thanks again. And obviously, if you have any stories you'd like to share with us then you can either send them to info at the fairy com, or you can contact us via facebook we have our own dedicated facebook page and you can listen to us on itunes spotify and youtube so subscribe and spread the word as well because obviously the more popular the show gets the higher we go up on the ratings and the i suppose the better we get the better we become hopefully <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, well, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Subscribe via your favourite podcast streaming service and follow us on Facebook and YouTube.